Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and capital markets regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly episodes is to update CII members and the general public on significant developments in U.S. corporate governance and capital markets legislation and regulation and CII's related advocacy activities. This update covers a period from January 31st to March 1st. The following is my top 10 list of events over that period. Number 10, on February 3rd, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida and Representative Jim Banks of Indiana introduced the Teamwork for Employees and Managers Act of 2022. The so-called TEAM Act would establish employee involvement organizations and allow one employee elected worker on the boards of large companies. Legislation is modeled off the Teamwork for Employers and Management Act, which was vetoed in 1996 by President Bill Clinton. Under the bill, voluntarily created employee involvement organizations would be comprised of an employer and a group of their employees for the purpose of discussing matters of mutual interest, such as quality of work, productivity, efficiency, compensation, benefits, and accommodation of religious belief and practices. The employee involvement organizations would not be unions and could not negotiate collective bargaining agreements with employers. The employee involvement organizations also could not preclude employees from forming a union. Any violations of provisions drawn up by employee involvement organizations would be adjudicated in the U.S. court system, not by the National Labor Relations Board. Employee involvement organization members at companies with more than $1 billion in yearly gross revenues would have the opportunity to elect a representative to serve as a non-voting member on the company's board. This worker representative would be excluded from board activities at the employer's discretion and would be prohibited from receiving funding from any labor organization, nonprofit, or business except the employer. Senator Rubio said in a press release that, quote, unfortunately, current law makes it impossible for employers to have any meaningful discussion about workplace conditions with a non-unionized group of employees. Our bill solves this problem by creating a pro-worker alternative to unions, which are notoriously left-wing and almost always pit workers against management, only worsening the workplace environment, unquote. In response to the bill, Brandon Rees, Deputy Director of Corporations and Capital Markets for the AFL-CIO, stated, quote, employee representation on boards only works when workers have an independent voice and the organization is free from employer domination, unquote. Number nine, on February 17th, five Senate Republicans sent a letter to Securities Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler expressing concern about the potential risk that certain Chinese businesses' financial and accounting practices pose to U.S. investors. Although they described the enactment of the 2020 Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act as a much-needed step, 
the safeguard against Chinese-based entities engaged in non-transparent business practices, the senators raised concerns that the risk to U.S. investors from certain Chinese business practices extend beyond traditional auditing disclosures, and the senators urged the commission to seek enhanced risk disclosures and due diligence on the part of registered investment funds and their managers when considering investments in China, as outlined in the president's working group July 2020 report on protecting United States investors from significant risks from Chinese companies. Number eight, on February 4th, Senate Banking Committee Chairman Sherrod Brown of Ohio and Senator Mark Warner of Virginia sent a letter urging the Securities Exchange Commission as a draft potential amendments to its human capital disclosure requirements to ensure that companies report on the numbers of their workers who are not classified as full-time employees, including independent contractors, as well as the entire workforce that is material to the company and its investors, such as subcontracted workers. Number seven, on February 10th, the Council of Institutional Investors sent a letter to the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board supporting its decision to establish two advisory councils, the Investor Advisory Group and the Standards and Emerging Issues Advisory Group. Prior to 2018, the PCAOB had two advisory groups, the Standing Advisory Group and the Investor Advisory Group. Both met in public with the board several times each year and provided input and feedback on policy and standard setting issues. Under the prior PCAOB chair, William Dunkey III, those advisory groups were disbanded. CI's letter generally supports both advisory groups' frameworks and suggests that the framework of the standards and emerging issues advisory group be revised to state that the group should have significant and adequately balanced representation from qualified investors. CI's letter explains that, quote, the PCAOB's mission to protect investors, combined with the general underrepresentation of investors on the PCOB's board and staff, and in connection with the PCOB's comment letter process, suggests a need for more rather than less input from investors, unquote. Number six, February 9th, a bipartisan group of seven senators, led by Senator Jack Reed of Rhode Island sent a letter urging the Securities Exchange Commission to propose rules regarding cybersecurity disclosures and reporting and coordinate the formulation of these rules with the National Cyber Director, stressing that investors deserve a clear understanding of whether companies' investment managers are prioritizing cybersecurity. The senators highlight the related legislation, S. 808, the Cybersecurity Disclosure Act of 2021. That legislation would require public companies to disclose whether a cybersecurity expert is on the board of directors, and if not, why not? In addition, the senators indicated they are encouraged that the SEC intends to address cybersecurity threats using a wide variety of tools, from raising the bar on risk management to clarifying when to report a serious breach that has already occurred. And the senators request that the commission keep their staffs informed of the SEC's progress on improving 
cybersecurity disclosures and reporting by public companies and financial sector registrants. Number five, on February 24, the Council of Institutional Investors submitted a comment letter to the Securities Exchange Commission in response to its most recent proposed rulemaking agenda. CI thanked the commission for finalizing the universal proxy rule in November. CI letter also expressed support for and requested implementation of the SEC's proposed rules on clawbacks, 10B5-1, executive trading plan reform, and pay for performance disclosure. CI referenced this November comment letter that asked the SEC to finalize the proposed rule on clawbacks with suggested improvements, including one, a broader interpretation of the word restatements. Two, the addition of checkboxes on Form 10K that clarify when there were restatements and whether restatements led to a clawback. Three, disclosures of how the recoverable amount was calculated and for XBRL detailed tagging of the compensation recovery information. CIA also strongly supported the SEC's efforts to reform 10B5-1 trading plans, which follow through on a CII rulemaking petition from 2012. While CII has not yet written a comment letter in response to the 10B5-1 rule proposal, which was issued by the commission in December, the CII letter reiterated specific CII recommendations that included enhanced disclosure on 10B5-1 trading plans and additional conditions for those plans to qualify for an affirmative defense under Rule 10B5-1. CII also praised the SEC's reopening of the pay for performance proposal and reiterated its support for disclosure of all quantitative metrics and thresholds that were actually used in the current year to determine the named executive officer's compensation. In addition, CII requested that the proposal be revised to require disclosure of a quantitative reconciliation, the gap of non-GAAP financial metrics used to determine executive compensation. Number four, on February 10th, Securities Exchange Commission voted three to one to propose amendments to Regulation 13D-G to modernize beneficial ownership reporting requirements and improve their operation and efficiency. The proposal would shorten the filing deadline for the initial Schedule 13D from 10 to five days after the date on which a person acquires more than 5% of a covered class of equity securities and require that any amendments be filed within one business day. For qualified institutional investors and exempt investors submitting Schedule 13G, the proposal would shorten the initial filing deadline from 45 days after year end to five business days after the end of the month in which the investor beneficially owns more than 5% of the covered class. With respect to passive Schedule 13G filers, the proposal would shorten the initial submission filing deadline from 10 to five days. All Schedule 13G filers would be required to file amendments five business days after the month in which a material change occurred, rather than 45 days after the year in which any change occurred. The proposed amendments also would accelerate the amendment obligations for certain Schedule 13G filers upon exceeding 10% beneficial ownership or a 5% increase or decrease in beneficial ownership of a covered class, requiring that qualified institutional investors and passive investors 
file an amendment within five days and one business day, respectively. In order to ease filers' administrative challenges resulting from these shortened deadlines, the proposal would also extend the filing cutoff times for Schedules 13D and 13G from 5.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the proposal would also include three additional requirements. One, it would deem holders of certain cash-settled derivative securities as beneficial owners of the reference-covered class. Two, clarify the circumstances under which two or more persons have formed a group that would be subject to beneficial ownership reporting obligations. And three, clarify the disclosure requirements with respect to derivative securities held by a person reporting on that schedule. Comments will be due on the proposal either 60 days following publication of the proposed release on the SEC's website or 30 days following publication of the proposed release in the Federal Register, whichever period is longer. Number three, on February 9th, Securities Exchange Commission voted three to one to propose new rules and amendments under the Investment Advisors Act intended to enhance the regulation of private fund advisors and protect private fund investors by increasing their visibility into certain practices and by establishing requirements to address practices that have the potential to lead to investor harm and by prohibiting advisor activity that the commission believes is contrary to public interest and the protection of investors. The proposed amendments would require SEC-registered private fund advisors to take the following three actions. Number one, provide investors with quarterly statements detailing information about private fund performance fees and expenses. Number two, obtain an annual audit for each private fund. And number three, distribute to investors a fairness opinion in connection with an advisor-led secondary transaction. The proposal would also prohibit all registered and unregistered private fund advisors from two actions. One, engaging in certain prohibited activities and practices, and two, providing certain types of preferential treatment to investors. Comments will be due either 60 days following publication of the proposal release on the SEC's website or 30 days following publication of the proposal release in the Federal Register, whichever period is longer. Number two, on February 25th, the Council of Institutional Investors and seven other groups filed a joint friend of the court brief in support of the Securities and Exchange Commission in a lawsuit challenging the commission's approval on August 6th of a NASDAQ rule that requires companies file on the exchange to disclose diversity information on their boards of directors. The brief filed in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit argues that many investors and investment advisors believe board diversity is a material benefit to companies and consider board diversity or the lack of it when casting votes for directors who serve on the nominating and governance committee. Other organizations co-signing the brief are Aerial Investments, Boston Trust Walden, Gain Gels, the Investment Advisor Association, Lord Abbott, Northern Trust Investments, and the Robert F. Kennedy Center for Human Rights. And the number one most significant development in U.S. corporate governance and capital market regulation from the perspective of CII for the period from January 31st to March 1st was CII's February 24th comment letter to the Securities and Exchange Commission, providing recommendations on how to improve its plans to implement the pay versus performance disclosure provisions of the Dodd-Frank Act. On January 27th, the SEC reopened the comment period for rules originally proposed in 2015 to implement a section of Dodd-Frank 
requiring companies to disclose information about the relationship between actual executive pay as reported in the proxy with certain adjustments and company performance as represented by total shareholder return. The commission is seeking comment on the 2015 proposal, as well as on proposed additional requirements, the reopening release. While CI generally supports the provisions in the proposing release and the modifications in the reopening release, CI's letter emphasizes that in order for the commission to fully capture the original intent of the Dodd-Frank provision, the final implementing rule must explicitly require companies disclose all of the quantitative metrics and thresholds they use when determining the named executive officer's incentive compensation for the current year. In addition, given the increase in the disclosure of financial compensation metrics in the compensation discussion and analysis section of the proxy statements that are not based on generally accepted accounting principles, CI's letter recommends the final rulemaking incorporate CII's 2019 petition. That petition would close a loophole that permits the use of non-GAAP metrics in the compensation discussion and analysis section of the proxy statement without providing a corresponding quantitative reconciliation of those metrics to the related GAAP amounts. A letter states that, quote, CII believes it's imperative that the SEC require at a minimum, and as part of this rulemaking, that companies include a hyperlink to a quantitative gap reconciliation for any non-gap pay targets contained in their CDNA, unquote. In response to questions posed in the SEC's new request for comment, CII also expressed general support for the following four proposed requirements. Number one, requiring additional financial performance measures beyond total shareholder return specifically pre-tax net income and net income to be presented in tabular format alongside the other metrics that would be required by the reopening release. Number two, requiring the scope of a supplemental company-selected measure to include any measure that would be disclosed under the existing compensation discussion and analysis requirements, including financial performance measures, as well as environmental, social, and governance-related measures. Number three, requiring a tabular list of a company's five most important performance measures used to determine compensation actually paid. And number four, requiring smaller reporting companies provide most of the same disclosures recommended for larger companies. That completes my monthly corporate governance and capital markets update. If you have any questions regarding any of the issues discussed, please feel free to email me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening.